Would you please pray with me? Lord, what a great privilege it is to gather together as your people on this your day. And we thank you for your word that we don't just come to church, we come to worship you and to meet you in it so that we can see who you are and who we are in light of your grace. I ask now, Lord, that as we go into these passages of great truth and expectation for each and every one of us, that we would think your thoughts, that my lips would utter your words alone, and that you'd bend our wills to yours, and you would set our hearts on fire with love for you and for your Son, Jesus Christ, for it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, this past week celebrated the 25th anniversary of one of our family's favorite movies. Uh, the Sandlot came out 25 years ago this past week, and if you haven't seen it, I encourage you to do so. You know, for two reasons. Number one, it's a great movie. It's a little raunchy. The kids aren't godly, you know, at all. But it's a great story. It's funny. And the second reason is, if you want to understand me, watch that movie. Because that was my neighborhood, except mine was in Northern Virginia at the time. Just said about seven years later. And it, and it is just a fun, fun watch. But as we were watching this just a couple weeks ago when we visited Zach and Mary, he goes, let's watch The Sandlot. And I said, okay. So... <laughs> So we watched The Sandlot, and, you know, it just, it just comes across as I was preparing this message. As wonderful as that story is, there's something completely lacking. As it was in my childhood, completely lacking. That is family or families that love the Lord the God as is described in Deuteronomy and in Mark as Jesus just spoke do not hinder the children. Because that's the question that's before us that I've thrown out for this series. Can my kids flourish in these crazy times? Well, there was another crazy time in which God's people had their raising their children in. And we see it in Deuteronomy. So I encourage you to open up the, your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And as you're turning... We're walking through this series on family life because these are our issues. Last week, parenting. This week, last week, marriage. This week, parenting. Next week, getting off the, the, the treadmill of suburban busyness. And how can we get a rest as we do these things? Um, these are issues which are important to us. And this, as we tackle parenting, God has something to say to us. We all want the best for our kids. Therefore, the question becomes, what is best for our kids? How can they flourish educationally, intellectually? How can they flourish physically, socially, emotionally? Well, God has some ideas for his people. If we would call ourselves Christians, this is a perfect chapter for us. For it all begins, as we see here, of loving the Lord as the Shema states in verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Meaning, when it comes to raising our kids, we start here. That we love the Lord with all our heart, 
meaning our affections, our desires, our mind. With all our soul, meaning our energy, our ability. And then all our strength, meaning out of our substance, out of who we are as well as our possessions. Colin Smith of the Orchard Church in Illinois says, that's a difficult word to translate. He says, so we love the Lord with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our muchness. Everything that we have, we love the Lord. So the question for those of us who would call ourselves Christians, if, if we would love Christ in this way, what impact would it have on our children? Now I know for some of you here today, you know, you might say, well, I'm beyond my childbearing years. My kids are out of the home. I launched them as arrows long time ago. This is beyond me. Not really. You're always a parent, you know. I'm still my mama's baby, you know. She's 91, and she considers me that, even though I'm 56 years old, you know. And she doesn't in the least bit shy away from giving her opinion on how I should live my life, all right. <laughs> and I honor her by letting her do so, all right. So you don't stop being parents, and we're going to talk about the implications for you. But you might be a young person and say, well, what does this have to do to me? I'm not married yet. Well, you're going to be, most of you. Some, of it, some people are called into singleness, yes. And we honor those people. And th- for those of you who are single here today, what a great blessing it is for an informed Christian single to speak into families. One of the great blessings I had as a young dad was in a, being in a small group with a couple of godly single Christians who would even speak to my kids, now listen to your father. I'm like, thank you, you know, <laughs> because they were biblically informed, all right? So, we're a family, so let's walk in the family together. So, how can we? And God says, your kids can flourish in these crazy times, first of all, by loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if you choose to do so, your family will flourish. If you love your family first, the family will suffer. So let's set the stage for that statement. That's the first point this morning. Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you, go, if you turn to the left to Deuteronomy chapter 1 with me for a second, what you're going to discover is Moses is speaking for the Lord here. The Lord is inspiring Moses to speak in Deuteronomy, and he's speaking to the adult now grown children of the disobedient Israelites. Let's rehash the story. God said, took them out of Egypt, parted the Red Sea. They were going to the promised land, so therefore they get to the Jordan River, and God sends out the spies with Joshua and Caleb. And Joshua and Caleb come back with great faith in the Lord and say, Hey, this land is awesome. It's flowing with milk and honey. Let's follow the Lord and take it. The other spies said, uh, Moses, these guys bench press 350. Every single one of them, they squat 400. They're huge. Their cities are fortified, and they got swords, and we got shovels. No way are we going. And look at verse 39 of chapter 1. What else do they say? And as for your little ones who you said would become a prey, and your children who today have no knowledge of good or evil, 
They shall go in there, meaning the promised land. And to them I will give it, and they shall possess it. Meaning, not only did they say they're big and their cities are fortified, they said, this is going to affect my kids. My teenage boys are going to have to fight with me, and that they might die. I understand that, don't you? You really do, when you step back and you think about the practical things when you're holding a garden hoe, you know? Because the Israelites were unimpressive. That's the whole point of the gospel, right? Strength and weakness, right? So this is what's happening here. They're called to go into the promised land. They go, no, I can't. My kid, I got kids. I got a family. Well, obedience to the Lord always costs. But because of their lack of trust, their children wandered for most of their lives for 40 years. I mean, what's the lifespan of an ancient person, guys? So if you're six years old when your parents disobeyed and it's 40 years later, you're now 46. You don't have much longer now, quite frankly. So you have suffered because of their lack of trust in the Lord. So that's the foundation for us, first and foremost. Love the Lord our God, even when it doesn't make sense. Even when... It doesn't seem the right way. It's not always the right way, but it always feels like the right way, but it is always the right way to live unto the Lord. So we love the Lord with all our heart, soul, and mind and strength. And the second point is we are to align our lives with the, the one consuming passion of loving the Lord. This is what motivates us. This is why we do what we do. We align all of our lives under that one consuming passage, passion. And Moses is going to tell us in a few minutes how we do that. But what we need first to understand when I say the word alignment, I'm not saying, even I think, I, when I was doing the Ten Commandments about ten years ago, uh, you know, I, I have at times among you said, you know, you got to, as Christians, we prioritize our lives. You know, our relationship with the Lord our relationship with our spouse, our relationship with our kids, then our job, and then our, um, our ministry, our Christian ministry. And those are the priorities of the Christian life. Other pastors say you need to strike a balance in the Christian life. And I, I have to tell you, after 37 years of walking with the Lord, I find that so unhelpful. <laughs> because, number one, life isn't balanced. It, it, it ebbs and flows, doesn't it? And really, when you start to say, here's my priorities, I start pitting the Lord against my wife, my kids, my job, my ministry. Who wants to do that? Because that's not what the Lord is actually teaching us here. What we are seeing, and what I would suggest, is that we align all of our lives under the all-consuming passion of loving the Lord Jesus Christ. And what Moses now gives us is three ways in which we do that, okay? It starts with loving the Lord, and look, verse 6. This is a journey memory verse this week, by the way, you journey group members. And these words that I commend you today shall be on your heart. All right? We got that as our foundation. And that's where it begins, but it doesn't end there. Number one, it flows from your heart into your conversation. All right? 
Verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit down in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. What Moses is talking about to the Israelites is he's talking about their daily conversation around the dinner table. Everywhere they go. He's not saying this is all you talk about, because you talk about life and how your day was and all that things. Of course you do. But he is saying this is our pervasive conversation. Why we do what we do as followers of Christ. In other words, don't let the work that you're doing for the Lord at your workplace remain private. You bring it to the home, to the dinner table. Don't let your giving to the Lord and your time, your talent, and your treasure be hidden from them. Share what the Lord's doing in your life. And bring this to your children, this all-consuming passion of your heart. And notice he says to teach them diligently. What's the them that he's talking about? Is it the Ten Commandments of chapter 5 of Deuteronomy? Well, I think it's a good idea to tell your kids not to murder people or commit adultery, but that's not the main thing. What he's talking about is the Shema. Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and all those other things fall into place, right? Okay? In other words, this is not religion. We're about here at Christ Church West Shore. It's about a relationship with the living God who is real. It's not so much about the Book of Common Prayer or getting baptized, or getting confirmed, and doing all the stuff that we do. It's about loving the Lord Jesus Christ above everything. It's our passion. That's why we cry, Hallelujah! He is risen! And we're talking about why it is that we love the Lord as a family. We do it with all of our resources. He's the driving passion of my life as a disciple, as a father, as a mother, as a husband, as a wife. And we talk about them with our children. And because we talk about them, then it shows in our actions. Verse 8, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. In other words, it's in our hearts and it permeates our conversations. Now it shows in how we live our lives in this community. It's through our commitments. It's through our ministry here. Don't just talk about the Christian life. Do the Christian life. Right? They're going to see it in us. And finally, it permeates our homes. Verse 9, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house. When people walk into the house, they can smell it. It just is the beautiful Incense that permeates the walls of our home, the grace of Jesus Christ. Now, you need to understand something about me, dear friends. I had to learn this. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I grew up in a home with a bunch of Episcopalians. <laughs> All right? And because my sister, my brother, and I went on a mission to make going to church very, very difficult, and mom, dad really had no conviction... The sexual revolution hit in the late 60s. I'm not going. We don't believe it anyway. So they stopped. So from 1967 to 1977, we didn't go. So I didn't learn this from my mom and dad. 
I'll tell you where I did learn it. In 1977, I was watching Little House on the Prairie. <laughs> the preacher was preaching, and my dad turns to me, I think it's a thing of the Holy Spirit, and he goes, hey, you know what, we, we got to start going back to church. I said, I like that. We walk into Truro, which is this amazing, fast-growing, evangelical, Bible-believing, huge Episcopal church where this man was preaching the word just like I'm preaching to you. I learned it from listening to John Howe when I was 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. I just copy him. In some ways, I don't copy what he said, but I just copy his, the way he teaches the word to his people. And it just came to me through the word and through the men I got to know. Last week, I talked about Dave Ringwald, who was in our small group. You know, the Kansan who married his childhood sweetheart, was a, a naval officer. Wonderful man of God. Just watched him and listened to him because I wanted to be like Dave. Tell you, another person in that congregation was Colonel Johnny Knight. He was a full Marine Corps colonel. And I was a student at George Mason. I'm just watching this guy. Now, you've got to understand, this is the early 80s, where in many Episcopal churches, the worship wars had launched. You know, you can't bring a guitar in here. You not, no drum sets, you know. People were arguing about that. I discovered later, well, it's true, it's just who we were. Because we talked about having a passionate walk with Jesus Christ. So there was a drum set, there was a pipe organ, there was a grand piano, and there was Johnny Knight playing the guitar with a high and tight haircut every Sunday. Who had an amazing voice and led us in singing. The man was a full colonel in the music ministry, on the vestry, married and raising two kids, and every now and then found some time to play some golf. So on a Friday night prayer and praise, I'm starting to pray about the Lord's direction for my life, and I'm starting to wonder, maybe I should go into the military. The Lord didn't let me go. I contracted asthma. As soon as I said, okay, I'm going to do, I'm going to go in the army, you know, I contracted asthma. I think the Lord was telling me something. So I, I, I saw it as his call. But I had a conversation with Johnny Knight about the Marine Corps. I said, Johnny, how do, how do you be a Christian in the Marine Corps? He said, you be a Christian in the Marine Corps like you'd be in any other place. You love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and let the Lord take care of the rest. Go do excellent work. As you get an opportunity to witness, you witness. Other times, you just shut your mouth. And... God gave him incredible favor. There was no reasonable excuse why he would be promoted to a full colonel. He was one grade away from becoming a general. And he didn't go to the Naval Academy. But he was an amazing, godly guy in one of the saddest points of my life when the Lord took him when he was in his mid-40s. He had cancer and died. But his wife, Janelle, and his two boys continued to thrive in Christ, staying there at Truro. I learned how to love the Lord, your God, through my models. So we model it for one another. Don't take it for granted, men, women, the way we live our lives among one another. There's young people who need to, to, need to know our mistakes as well as our successes in Christ. And I have to tell you, you know, I've made some mistakes in parenting my kids. But I, I, I run back to the Lord and ask God to forgive me. 
But if I did say it once, I said it a thousand times around our dinner table as they might complain about opening up the Bible, might complain about doing this, complain about doing that. I said, hey, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. No other family does this. I don't care. For me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Nobody in our church does this. That doesn't matter what they do. We're going to serve the Lord. We're in the Episcopal Church. That's the problem with some of the church. Thank God we're out of that outfit. We left because the word wasn't being upheld and it's not believed. We believe the word of God transforms lives. Okay? And because of that, you're looking at a person who that's happened to. And so as we started walking in ministry together as a young couple, Kimmy and I, we just, you know, we're just going to open up our home. That's what we've done. That's what we do. So we open our home to the church. We open up our home to unbelievers as, as well. And we've tried to, to just show the love of God. I think that hospitality ministry is going to be the ground zero for future ministry, guys. Just us opening up our homes, not to people who are comfortable for us, but to neighbors who we really don't know very well, who need Jesus. Okay? We'll be talking about that, I'm sure, down the road. But some people have asked me, Gene, how, how did you protect your children from the pressures of ministry? I, I got to tell you, my children have been immensely blessed by being exposed to ministry. Uh, the people that they have met, the experiences that they've had and learned from other Christians, they remember having Susan Yates around our table in Beaver, Pennsylvania. They remember, you'll never forget if you have a Nigerian bishop at your table. Okay, Bishop Juwan, they can mimic his accent beautifully. All right. They remember having the rector of our church in Beneville, Reed and Deany Henserling, around our table and as we struggled to minister the gospel in that arid, dry, spiritually wasteland. It was hard, very hard. They remember the tailgates. They remember the dinners. My friends, it's a life spent for the Lord because it's an all-consuming passion. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua 24, 15. So I want to encourage us. And as the family works together, as opportunities arise, and I didn't always do this, and I regret it, but there was some, you know, there were ministry opportunities would come, or opportunities would arise, and it's better to say, hey guys, dad has an opportunity, or mom has an opportunity, let's pray together about it. And by giving her away, or giving him away, we're all in this together. Ensuring the gospel, spreading the gospel. You see, isn't that, that is entirely different than prioritizing, isn't it? Okay? Entirely different. And remember, the parents who wouldn't do it the way of the Lord led their children into the desert. And the generation that along with Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, went into the promised land. Ladies and gentlemen, don't live for your spouse. We live to the Lord. We can't love our spouse half as well until we love the Lord well. Don't live for your children. They don't need a buddy. They need a father. They need a mother. 
we live for the Lord. And I'm certain there's some of you who are thinking either A, uh, I haven't been doing this this way, or I didn't do it that way. I want you to know, as me and Kim we have continued to grow in Christ, there's been several things we've gone back to our children and said, you know what, we would do this differently. You know, forgive me. I'm sorry. Um, I, I would do that differently now. Um, but this is what I believe the Lord would have us do. Don't respect that. You know? Don't, don't, don't give up on your grown children, people, if they don't know the Lord. Don't give up on them. The Holy Spirit can go get them. So don't be afraid to go back and say, you know what, we didn't do that quite unto the Lord, but now we are. You ought to think about it. Pray about it. And for those parents and young people who are yet to be married, I want to encourage you, just hit Control-Alt-Delete, start over. Start over. For as me and my house we will serve the Lord together. And if you need any assistance, the one consuming passion to do this should be from the cross. This is how much Jesus loves you. You know, that's why we have one here. When you walk through those doors, what's the first thing your eyes fixate on? The cross. When we own that end of the building, the first thing we're going to do when we renovate is put a big honking cross on the wall. Illuminate it. Why? This is how much God loves you. J.C. Ryle tells an illustration, a wonderful illustration. We've told several people throughout this week because we, we heard about it. and it's, it's a great story. An Englishman comes to America where he meets a Native American, meets an Indian. And this Indian has come to faith in Christ, which is a very rare thing. And this Indian is so excited about his walk with Christ. And the Englishman, being a little reserved, as Englishmen are, he's a Christian. But he asks him, why are you so excited about what the Lord's doing in your life? And the Indian kind of looks puzzled at him and then goes, I'll tell you why. He takes some leaves and makes a circle on the ground and he takes an earthworm outside and places the earthworm in the circle. He then lights the leaves on fire. And the worm does what a worm would naturally do. The worm starts to feel the heat and starts to run a little bit, but realizes that he's encircled. So he keeps running and running, realizes he's got nowhere to go. So as the flames start to crouch in on him, he just curls up in a ball and prepares to die. The Indian reaches down as those flames are getting close to him and pulls him out of the flame, opens up his hand, looks the Englishman in the eyes and said, this was me. And now I'm a new creation saved by the cross of Christ. Why wouldn't I be excited about that? That's all we need, friends, is to continue to gaze at the cross and live as new creations God has made us into be. And no, we're not going to love the Lord your God perfectly. But to keep coming back to that through the cross is our all-consuming passion. Because what we tend to do is to be elevator pushers. Let's say Jesus invited you to go up to the top floor of the terminal tower. This is your life. The terminal tower represents your life. And the top of the terminal tower is heaven. 
And he meets you in the lobby of the Terminal Tower. He's going to take you. There's a beautiful ballroom at the top of the Terminal Tower, I'm told. And so uh, we're going to meet Jesus in the lobby. And he says, oh, son, daughter, welcome. Come, follow me. I go, all right, Lord, awesome. And you press the button. He says, oh, no, we're taking the stairs. Uh, Lord, we, we could take the elevator. No, we're taking the stairs. I'm going to be with you every step. But it's going to be a little tiring at times. It's going to be a little exhausting at times. But I will be with you every step. And sometimes the climb will be hard, and sometimes the climb will be exciting. But we're going climbing. That's how we'll flourish, ladies and gentlemen, is by loving the Lord with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength, pointing our kids to this reality, living unto him, not to the world, not caring what the world thinks about it, that we do so by the way we speak of him, by the way we live our lives in this community, by the way we minister in this community, and by the way we follow him. That's flourishing. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word, which not only reveals us your grace, because it's all about grace, but you call us to not push the button, but to climb the stairs. Why wouldn't we, with all you've done for us? Lord, we pray that we would be such people, no matter what stage of life we're in at this time, that we would continue to point our loved ones, our spouses, to one another, to you, and our children to you. Teaching them, talking of them, living it out in our community, and letting it be the pervasive principle in our lives that we do love you, Lord, and that people can see it, and it's contagious. We pray that it would spread that way, Lord and that we would infect one another in this community with the grace that you have given us in Jesus Christ. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.